After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you like to get off your chest right now? Are you feeling lonely, unappreciated, or misunderstood? When you keep these feelings bottled up, they can affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and work through whatever is weighing you down. It's a great way to increase your self-awareness, change negative thought patterns, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BeHereNow today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash BeHereNow. Welcome to the Sufi Heart Podcast with Omid Safi, featuring teachings and stories from the wisdom of the Islamic tradition. Omid invites you to a meditation on the transformative power of love and recalling the necessity of healing our own hearts through healing the world. If you'd like to support Omid's podcast, please visit BeHereNowNetwork.com forward slash Omid. Hello, welcome back to the Sufi podcast. This is Omid Safi. Uh, this week we have a special treat for you. Uh, on April 4th of this year, I was invited to Memphis to the site of the National Civil Rights Museum at Lorraine Motel for a once-in-a-lifetime honor. Uh, I was asked to deliver the keynote lecture on Martin Luther King. Uh, speaking on a message of uh, Dr. King's message for today's America and today's world. What does love have to say to us in a time like this? Now, this is a theme that uh, in here in the Sufi podcast um, of Sufi Heart, we have been talking about. We've always been talking about love, about radical love, and about how when it moves outward, it manifests as justice. Uh, there's probably no one in the 20th century who has better exemplified this connection between love and justice than Dr. King. So you can imagine the uh, urgency and the poignancy of this invitation. And furthermore, to get to give this lecture in front of some of Dr. King's closest living associates, uh, people like Reverend Jesse Jackson, 
um, and Reverend James Lawson. So uh, in the talk, I um, wanted to talk about what had brought us together. Uh, what does love have to say in a broken world like ours? Um, and uh, this, this keynote was designed to give us an opportunity to say that what we need is something more than just a moment. We need a movement. We need a movement that resurrects the teachings of love that Dr. King stood for, uh, that we're all in this together. Um, I tried to remind the audience that uh, a year to the day before he was shot and killed on the balcony of Lorraine Hotel, that Martin had stood in Riverside Church in New York. And there he had linked together anti-black racism here at home in a to America's war against Vietnam. It was that speech, um, among others, that had led to Martin being called by the FBI, and I quote, uh, the most dangerous Negro leader in America. Uh, a year later, he would be shot. Uh, so it's, um, this, this keynote is an attempt to help us move beyond simply venerating one individual and to remember that there's always a movement, there's always a community, there's always a tradition that produces giants like this. That if we want to have people like Dr. King, then we have to become a community that produces Dr. King's. Um, the, the framework of the keynote, which you'll listen to next, was based on the very last speech that Dr. King had given. Uh, that speech given on April 3rd of 1968 was one that he gave in Mason Temple, uh, also in the city of Memphis, where he had stood with sanitation workers uh, who had gone on strike. Uh, simply asking for a, a living wage and a cost of um, and, 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 and a, a wage increase in their in their salary, something that the white establishment of the city of Memphis had refused for them. Um, in that speech, the very last speech that Martin gave, he um, used a beautiful metaphor that if he could go back in time, and if God would allow him to live at any point in human history, he would love to live in the age of Greeks, but he wouldn't stay there. That he would love to see the face of Jesus, but he wouldn't stay there. That he would love to come up to the age of Renaissance, but he wouldn't stay there. That he would love to come up to the age of the Founding Fathers, but he wouldn't stay there. That he would love to come up to the age of Abraham Lincoln, and he wouldn't stay there. And he would be so grateful if God would allow him to live for just a few days in the weird, strange, messed up days of the middle of the 20th century. Uh, and where he would get to witness a time where men and women were standing up and straightening out their backs and rising up for what was just. Um, so in my keynote, I tried to extend that same metaphor. 
and ask what if we would go with Martin through some of the key moments of his life? What if we would go with Martin to Montgomery as he's organizing the bus boycott? What if we would come with him to the lunch counter sit-ins in 1960? What if we would come up to 1963 and the March on Washington for jobs and freedom? What if we would come up with him to 1967 when he goes to Riverside? And what if we would come up with him to Memphis? But likewise, we wouldn't stop at any of those points. And we would simply ask God to allow us to live for a few days for a few months and for a few years, in our own age, in our own beautiful and messed up age of this hurting and wounded world that we see around us. So with that, my friends, I invite you to give a listen to this keynote, which was given on April 4th, the anniversary of Dr. King's assassination. Uh, in Lorraine Motel, in the city of Memphis. Thank you. Reverend Lawson, Reverend Jackson, Dr. Fink. Friends, beloved community, we have come here today to speak some words of truth. Sometimes truth is hard to speak and hard to hear. But speak the truth and live the truth, we must. Today's been a rainy day, a stormy day in Memphis. It's a stormy day for us in America and a stormy day for us in this tiny, small planet that we all share. That April 3rd and 4th in 1968, those were also stormy days. Martin stood here in your beautiful city. He went to the Mason Temple Church of God in Christ, and in his speech, he offered these moving words. What if he were offered an opportunity to move through time? And he said that he would want to see the Hebrews marching out of bondage, out of Egypt, but he would not stop there. That he would love to see Jesus, but he would not stop there. That he would love to come and see Socrates and Plato, Euripides and Aristophanes, but he would not stop there. He skipped right over the prophet Muhammad. I wish he had also included us in the gathering. <laughs> he would love to see the Renaissance, but he would not stop there. He would have loved to see Martin Luther and Abraham Lincoln, but he wouldn't stop there. All he would ask God for would be a chance to live for a few days in the middle of the 20th century. And he said, now I know that that's a strange thing to ask for because the world's messed up. 
and our world is messed up. We haven't finished wiping away our tears at the recognition that we are marking 400 years of the theft and the enslavement of 12 and a half million sisters and brothers. An atrocity that the world has never seen the likes of. And we are still weeping over the consequence of it. I'm still wiping my eyes over the horrific terrorist attack in Christ Church. Our Jewish sisters and brothers are still wiping their eyes from the horrific terrorist attack on Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh. We're still wiping our tears over the terrorist attack in Charleston. Nazis are on the march. And some of the folks in the White House say that there's perfectly fine people among them. We are in Memphis today to ask the question, what does love have to say in a broken world like this? I'm gonna start by asking us to walk with Martin because we cannot go to where we want to go unless we know where we've come from. I'm going to ask us to redeem and resurrect Martin, not from that iconic, alone and aloof figure that rises above the crowd, but as a man of the people, as one who was loved by the people and gave his life for the folk. To remember that we are all in this together. Either we go up together or we go down together, but we are in this together. We come from a long line of people who teach us that if you love the folk, you tell them the truth. So let us share some truth. I stand before you as an unapologetic Muslim child of Martin. As somebody who loves Martin and even more loves the tradition that produced Martin. And we love this fragile world of ours too much to remain silent today. The truth of the matter is that Dr. King, whom we all love, weeps in his grave when he sees what has become of his beloved America to see that a man who has normalized racism and sexism is assuming the highest office in the land. We know what Martin said. I want to ask us, what do we have to say? What does love have to say at a time like this? Martin told us from jail that there can be no disappointment when there's also not great love, and that he was profoundly disappointed with the white 
moderate. I am disappointed with many of the people who claim to be religious, who tell us that they believe every word of the Torah and the Bible and the Quran to be the word of God, but don't seem to have a mumbling word to say about all the suffering among us. If you believe that the scripture is the word of God, have you read Matthew 25? I want to have a come to Jesus moment. As a Muslim, I say this. We want to have a come to Jesus moment for the 81%. 81% of our white evangelical sisters and brothers who went into the voting booth with a known racist and misogynist on one shoulder and the Jesus of Nazareth on the other shoulder and Jesus lost out. I wanna know is the Jesus that you profess your faith in, is this the Jesus of the shopping mall? Is this the Saint Jesus of Wall Street? Or is this the Palestinian Jew who in his very first public sermon stood up and said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. First words out of his mouth, I bring the good news to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted to preach deliverance to the captives. Do you have a mumbling word to say about the two and a half million people in the prison industrial complex? Don't put the name of our Lord in your mouth unless you're gonna walk like the Lord and hear like the Lord. As a child of that Jesus of Palestine and that Muhammad of Arabia, we are here to remind America that there is a better way. There is a higher path, and there is a way of letting love build the beloved community here and now. We know that God is our Rahman and our Rahim, the loving and merciful. And if you claim to love God, start by showing that love to God's children. We got to say to one another that I cannot be who I want to be until you become everything that you ought to be, because we're in this together. Right? We know why Martin was in Memphis because he was moved to respond to suffering. Because the suffering of Ickle Cole and Robert Walker, those two black sanitation workers, did not leave him with an option of remaining silent. I want us to answer, what are we doing for those who are crushed by the machinery of today. We've got a racist in chief who is putting babies in cages for the sake of all that is noble and holy and beautiful. 
mosque, church, and temple are forbidden to us unless we rise up and speak out against this abomination. But love still has something to say. God still has something to say to us. Martin told us that our lives begin to end the day that we become silent about the things that matter. We are in Memphis together today to tell us that our black sisters and brothers matter. That poor folk matter. That our Muslim sisters and brothers matter that our Hispanic sisters and brothers at the southern border matter, that our babies in cages matter, that our Jewish sisters and brothers matter, that our undocumented human beings, don't you dare call them illegals, matter, that the environment matters, that our gay and lesbian sisters and brothers matter, that Palestine matters. That Ferguson matters. Let us journey with Martin a little bit, my friends. We can start in 1955. I hope you took the time to see the recreation of Rosa Parks' bus downstairs. We all know that as she was sitting down, she was really standing up because a man can ride your back when you stand up straight. What does Martin have to say in that time that speaks to us today? He began by linking together love and justice. He says, justice is really love in application. Justice is love correcting that which would work against love. 26-year-old Martin Luther King more or less an unknown in Montgomery, has to write one of the most important speeches of his life in about an hour. And he has this to say. And we are not wrong. We're not wrong in what we're doing. If we are wrong, then the Supreme Court of the United States is wrong. If we are wrong, the Constitution of the United States is wrong. If we are wrong, God Almighty is wrong, right? The dignity of the human being, starting with those who find themselves vulnerable. This is the truth, undeniable. But we're not going to stop there. Very next year, the Supreme Court issues its verdict on segregation and desegregation. And this is where I figure out that Martin's just a better man than I am. I've got a certain orange person that every time I see him, I utter words that I didn't know I was capable of. A litany of choice four-letter utterances rhyming together, suggesting things that he can do to himself. And Mama didn't raise me like that. And what does Martin tell us? In response to the Supreme Court, Martin says, 
Our goal is not to crush the white man, not to defeat the white man, but to win them over in friendship and brotherhood and sisterhood and love. That's a high challenge. It's a moral challenge for me personally. Let no man pull you so low as to hate him. I don't want to be capable of hate, even towards Nazi sympathizers. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say, I will work towards friendship with you. I will love you because I know that our humanity is bound up together and our redemption is bound up together. I cannot be free until even you are free. I wish for you to be free from your hatred and animosity. But because I've got a little Malcolm in me, just as I've got a little Martin in me, I will say, I will work on friendship with you once I have reached with my friends and we have lifted up your boot from our neck. Because as long as my sisters and my brothers are not breathing freely, friendship is not really an option at the moment. Thank God Martin tells me that the only thing I'm responsible for is to love them, not to like them. Because I sure as heck do not like the actions of many of these folks here and now. But we cannot defeat the hateful with hate. We cannot outtweet them, outshout them, and we're not going to win by being more bombastic. We've got the one weapon that is divine, and that weapon is love, is love. When you bring a torch into a dark room, darkness vanishes. And the one thing that I know, having traveled to about 40 countries around the world, and just about every state in this country, is that when you go to ordinary folks, and you see them, and you tell them, I've got four babies in this world. My beautiful children, Jacob, Roya, Amir, and my gorgeous daughter, Layla, who's right here. And I know what I want for her. I want food in her belly. I want dignity in her bones. And I want the same thing for other people's babies. And ordinary folk, they don't need a fancy college degree. They know that, they spot that, they respond to that. I am who I am because I am the child of Middle Eastern immigrants. I am who I am because Ali and Puran loved me. They poured their love into me. I am who I am because my wife Karina loves me and she's a Swiss immigrant. And I, before I had read a line of scripture, telling me about God's love, I have felt my mama's love and my daddy's love. And I know that nobody has a monopoly on love. So we're going to go forth with this love. 
But we're not going to stop at that point. We're going to keep marching with Martin. We're going to go to Washington, which wasn't his march. It was the march for jobs and freedom. It takes a movement, not a moment. Martin that day spoke so eloquently about the dream that he had had. That's the part that we usually play for our students. But if you just wait about four years, by 1967, he was telling NBC News, I realized that in some ways I might have been a little too naive, and some parts of my dream have turned into a nightmare. Right? If we love Martin, and we do, we got to speak the truth. My beloved community, America is and has always been a mixture of a dream and a nightmare. If someday we want it not to be a nightmare for some of us, then we gotta build that America because that America has never existed and it doesn't exist now. Martin's words in 63 were dangerous enough that the FBI called him the most dangerous Negro in this nation. Two weeks later, we've got the terrorist attack on the 16th Street Baptist Church. Addie Mae, Carol, Cynthia, and Denise are killed. Not a single city official has the moral conviction to show up for their funeral. And what does Martin say in his eulogy? He says, we got to be concerned not about who murdered them, but about the system, the institution, the philosophy that produces this hate. So let us not mince words, my friend. This is not just about Trump. Getting him out of office is a fine start. I will dance for you on that day. But we've got to identify the system, the institution, and the philosophy of white supremacy, of male supremacy that brought him to power. Let us hang on, my friends, to this love, to this faith, that though the cause of evil prospers at the moment and truth is on the scaffold, wrong is upon the throne, wrong is in the White House, and wrong is in Mar-a-Lago, yet behind the dim unknown standeth God within the shadow, keeping watch above his own. Let us keep marching with Martin to another April 4th in Riverside. That April 4th and the April 4th of 68 are directly linked up together. That reluctant Martin came to do the boldest thing, to connect together anti-black racism here at home to America's militarism abroad. He stood in Riverside, introduced by Rabbi Heschel, and said, 
I have come to this magnificent house of worship because my conscience no longer permits me to remain silent. The time comes when silence is betrayal, and for us, with respect to Vietnam, that time is now. That Martin says, I will never again raise my voice against the violence in the ghetto without also talking about the greatest purveyor of violence in the world today, my own government. If we love Martin, we've got to speak the truth. He names the giant triplet of evil, racism that is still with us, the historic racism against black folk and Native Americans now has expanded to include Muslims and refugees and Jews and Hispanics and others. Materialism is still with us. In the richest nation in the history of the planet, 20% of all of our babies go to bed hungry at night. 40% of our black babies, 40% of our brown babies go to bed hungry every night. It is obscene. And what to say about militarism when we are droning innocent lives in seven different countries? What are we going to say when we got politicians on both sides of the aisle telling us that they don't have enough money for the poor, they don't have money for the environment, they don't have money for the teachers, they don't have money for our babies, they don't have money for hospitals, but somehow they can print up money to spend $4,000 billion on these wars of choice that have killed hundreds of thousands of black and brown, mostly Muslim folk and do not make us safer. When Martin spoke out against this, people told him to stay in his lane. Even the NAACP, the New York Times, Washington Post, and Martin's response was, I have worked too hard and too long against segregated public accommodations to end up at this point of my life segregating my moral concerns. Over there and over here, mingle. And do you not know that the same God that I have faith in is also the God of the Vietnamese? He told us to be creatively maladjusted, and I say unto us, may you be maladjusted to injustice. May you be maladjusted to indifference. May you be maladjusted to cruelty and to racism. And may you channel that maladjustment to the deep inner reservoirs of love, bringing light into a world that is deeply in need of it. May it be that we are more than simply outraged. May we be forces of good of beauty, of love, of gentleness. It's not even about the political left and right. It's about right and wrong. For Martin, this Riverside moment wasn't some political manifesto. comes out of love for all of God's children. Because he's a child of Jesus. 
And he knows that we should do unto others what we would want him to do to us. The Prophet Muhammad says the same thing. Don't do unto others what you wouldn't want him to do to you. You wouldn't want someone to bomb you, don't bomb them. You don't want someone to starve you, don't starve them. You don't want someone to occupy you, don't occupy them. It's about love. And as Martin tells us, this love is not some emotional bosh. I tell my beautiful daughter, Layla, this love is not an emoji. <laughs> you don't text love. You live love. You do love. You breathe in this love. And this love is salvific, is redemptive. Those of us who are Muslim know that this love is nothing short of the unleashing of God on earth. It is this love that brought you here. It is this love that nourishes you and sustains you here. And if you can get over your own damn self and love somebody purely, love a child, love a parent, love a teacher, love a friend, Love a neighbor. I mean, that most biblical of words, love a stranger. Right? Let me translate that for you to 21st century English. Love a refugee. If you can love somebody, that same love's going to carry you back home and save you. We know from Martin, I had the benefit of also sitting at the feet of Vincent Harding, whom I miss so terribly. And Uncle Vincent would always tell me, it's when this love that moves outward that we call it justice. But justice is about love. If you love the folk, you want them to have food in their belly, a roof over their head, dignity in their bones. And when that same love goes inward, he said, we call it tenderness. May God make of us people who are tender with one another. And out of that same love, fierce and bold in confronting injustice. I want to begin to wrap up, mindful of our time, mindful of getting close to that 601 moment. When Martin was in Memphis, he was working on a sermon. Some of you all know this. The sermon might surprise a couple of people. We don't know the exact words, but we know the title. Why America May Go to Hell. He's not saying, I want America to go to hell. But as a prophet says, the road that you're on this leads to your spiritual demise. The great Rabbi Heschel, whom Martin loved so much, said, the prophet comes like a scream in the middle of the night. You see that the folks are suffering, and you have to do something. Your heart is so attuned to the vulnerable and the weak that you cannot bear to be silent. But do you know what the prophets never do? No prophet in the Bible ever comes and says, 
I'm here to make Judea great again. No prophet ever come to say, I'm here to make Rome great again. And if somebody is telling you that they're here to make America great again, that is not the voice of a prophet, but somebody who's selling you something. What does Martin tell us? He says, forget about being great. Have you tried being good? Can we be a good nation? Can we be a kind nation? Can we be loving and just? The prophet and Martin and all of us who seek to walk in Martin's path, they stand with a heart burning in love. And they say that unless you do right by the babies in cages, the judgment of the Lord is upon you. Unless you feed the hungry and clothe the naked and shelter the homeless and embrace the refugee, the judgment of the Lord is upon you. When Martin and Ralph Abernathy and Bayard Rustin and Fred Shuttleworth and Ella Baker, now that's a woman and a half right there, Ella Baker. When they formed the SCLC, their motto was to save the soul of America. And Martin was still trying to save the soul of America. We're still trying to save the soul of America. If we're going to be great someday, that greatness doesn't come from our economy, doesn't come from our towers, and it surely does not come from the size of our military. That greatness comes from our capacity to love, to project the I into the thou, to serve. We're in this together. Together. We might have come on different ships, but we're all in the same boat right now. And those of us who are black and those of us who are Muslim, we've been on that same boat since we were stolen. Twelve and a half million of us stolen from the west coast of Africa. Around three million of them were Muslim Africans. We've been in the same boat together. And we're still together. The great Rumi, the great love mystic of Islam says, you and I have to live as if you and I never heard of a you and an I. Let me end, my friends, with two quick words. One, Martin told us, that cowardice asked the question, is it safe? Expediency asked the question, is it politic? Vanity asked the question, is it popular? But conscience asked the question, is it right? If we want to walk in the footsteps of Martin, we got to be willing to sacrifice something. Even if that sacrifice is popularity. Take a look at Alexandria Octavia Cortez, take a look at Rashida Tlaib, take a look at Ilhan Omar, take a look at anyone who is talking about love as a force in public and redeeming the soul of America and the vicious attacks that they're all under. 
Let us create and maintain unity. What did Martin tell us that last night in Mason Temple Church? He said, whenever the Pharaoh wanted to prolong the period of slavery in Egypt, he had a favorite, favorite formula. What was it? To keep the slaves fighting among themselves. And that's what the forces of hatred and division and racism and white supremacy are trying to do to us. To get the poor white folk to be mad at the immigrants, to get the Muslims to be mad at the Jews, the Jews mad at the Muslims, to get the blacks and the Hispanics going out and for each other's throats. Let us be wiser. Let us work for a deeper kind of unity. Let us muster up all the love in heaven and summon it down here on earth so that we can make of this old broken world a new world. With this faith and with this love, we do as we say down in North Carolina. Right can be actualized. Justice can be mobilized. Meanness can be neutralized. Love can be organized, and the beloved community can be realized. May God bless you. May God bless everyone whose heart is moved by the spirit of Martin and Malcolm, Jesus and Moses and Muhammad. May we see God as love moving through the whole of humanity, starting with the broken places, healing the wounded, uplifting the afflicted, freeing the prisoners and the occupied, feeding the hungry, until we come to see a new Memphis, a new America, and a new world community here and now. May God bless you. Süleyman kuş gibi This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you like to get off your chest right now? Are you feeling lonely, unappreciated, or misunderstood? When you keep these feelings bottled up, they can affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and work through whatever is weighing you down. It's a great way to increase your self-awareness, change negative thought patterns, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now.